Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's guest is John Lane, and we're going to play some Missouri tunes for you and tell you which tunes you know and love have been Missouri tunes all along. You may be surprised. Some of you definitely won't be because you're old-time super nerds, and I love that about you. Never change. (laughs) Anyway, this episode is very good. We recorded it at Spitzer Space Telescope's apartment in Chicago while I was in town for the Midwest Sing and Stomp. His room's part of this old repurposed dentist's office, and the room at the end of the hall was an art gallery. Uh, The bathroom window opened up onto an ancient fire escape, and uh, when Dan made us pancakes, he had to do it on an electric element. It was just about the most bohemian living situation I'd ever seen, and it was delightful. Uh, Dan hung out in the corner while we jammed, and Chet, this contradance caller, I think from Knoxville, uh, sat at Dan's desk and practiced calligraphy. Uh, I just wanted to set the scene because there's a fair amount of street noise in this episode, and I think it will be more enjoyable if you can picture the whole setting. Make sure to stick around after the interview to find out where to listen to John's music and how to support Get Up in the Cool, and here are some exciting news. Let's get it started. Here's my jam and chat with John Lane. Enjoy. Seems a lot of work. That was pretty good, though. I think we <laughs> yeah, can roll with we that got one. it. Yeah. All right. Uh, John Lane, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Uh, what did we just play? That was uh, Grand Picnic from Joe Polite, who's a representative of French influence in Missouri. Yeah, and uh, you, I think for the most part, we're doing Missouri fiddle tunes today. Like, uh, yeah, I guess all that, but one. Pretty much worked out that way. Yeah, cool. But they're all Midwestern. Most of them Missouri. See, I didn't even know that Missouri was technically Midwest until, like, kind of recently. This is how ignorant I am to, like... <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a different place out there. Different chords and different instruments and different expectations. Yeah. 
Yeah, somehow, like, in my, like, paradigm, it's sort of gotten, like, lost in the shuffle of, like, old-time music. I don't necessarily know which tunes... Are there any tunes that I would have... That I would know, like, that are from Missouri, and maybe I wouldn't know that they're from Missouri? Oh, um... No, I'm putting you on the spot. A, yeah, that's a great question. What are, um, like, the... Are there Missouri chestnuts? Um, there there sure are, but I'm, I'm afraid to name them, uh, <laughs> you know, uh... Old Jeff City is one that comes to mind a lot, also known as Caton's Reel. So that was written by Bill Caton, who is a black fiddler. Mm. Um, yeah, that one comes up a lot. Um, stuff like Leather Britches. Um, okay. That, that know, would be, that would, yeah. <laughs> there's a bunch that are present in the Eastern styles that are also there in the Midwest, but there's a bunch of unique ones too. And they put their own spin on it. Um, there's stuff that isn't present. I think coming from Appalachian stuff, maybe. I can tell you some things that are missing. And yeah. Maybe that's there's not a lot of cross tuning. Right. There's not as much banjo. It's not necessarily going to be claw hammer. It could just as well be a two finger or three finger yeah. style. Um, there's a little more of the four chord in general. Mm. There's uh, you know some F and B flat stuff. I think a lot of people were playing with um, guitar, cello, pump organ. Uh, yeah. A little more key neutral stuff. So I think the fiddler is switching keys around all the time. Like, you know, playing a whole string of D-tunes or something like that would be a little less common maybe in the Midwest. Right. Less claw hammer, less right. sticking in one key. And I guess like th- maybe three-finger banjo players. Do three fin- old-time three-finger banjo players like play everything out of standard or like, is that a thing? Um, I don't, I, I, I don't, I can't speak for them. Right. I don't know, you know, but <laughs> Me there's either. some different it's styles. Um, there's stuff like on what Dan Gellert's doing on Henry Barnes' album. There's a guy named Lyman Enlow from Kansas City who recorded with some pretty bluegrassy banjo. Yeah. Um, and I think it's kind of a whatever, and not anything goes, but different stuff, more stuff goes. You know, yeah. the banjo at, and the claw hammer banjo is not so much part of the dogma, although it's, it's welcome. You know, if a claw hammer player shows up, that's cool, but there just aren't a lot. Yeah. That's always like, I'm just not thinking about it. That's always like the first question that I ask when I'm asking like a non-Appalach- like non-Appalachian like uh, musician on my show. Like, hey, is there climber in this? <laughs> like, wait, what, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's certainly there, and probably then. I'll hear about it from some Missouri Clawhammer players tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. But it's just not something I've come across as much. In the old recordings, there's stuff like cello, there's some guitar, there's stuff like pump organ and piano, there's maybe banjo ukulele, there's definitely a two finger banjo. Mm. Um, Lena Hughes was famous. She and her husband Jake recorded a lot of folks, and she had a, a two finger, I think, banjo style. Her brother was Casey Jones, who was another famous Missouri fiddler. Also, the guy from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the hockey mask. <laughs> right? That's his name, right? I'm the wrong person to ask okay. about 20th century stuff, I'm okay. afraid, <laughs> in, a, in a broad sense. I wish I didn't know that, if that <laughs> is indeed true. So, uh, sorry for that derailment. Um, so, what appeals to you about Missouri fiddling? Well, um, I think it's pretty focused on being functional for dancing. Yeah. Um, Crooked tunes are not unwelcome, but there aren't a ton of them. A lot of them are 
go to the standard Missouri chord progression, which is not too different from old time, except that there's at least a one four somewhere in there, if yeah, not, if, if not more sometimes. Um, fast tunes, you know, like there's a guy named Bob Holt who was from Missouri, and he played. He's famous for playing, you know, cigarette and coffee in hand with an electrified fiddle on two inches of bow. You know what I mean? He and he was sort of a pragmatist about yeah. getting the most uh, result for his effort. Yeah. And he played fast, like 140, 145. Yeah. And really, there's some saying, some saying about like getting the music under the dancer's feet or something like that, really pushing, you know, driving the dance. And that's something that can be a little bit lost, you know. Um, an unnamed Midwestern fiddler jokes about groove top, you know, and there can be like, uh, speaking of speaking of cliff top and like having a gentle, a gentle groove, and yes. not like leaning into it quite so much. So like, yeah, leaning in, getting the getting the dancers to like almost a frenzy a little bit. That's yeah. part of what I think of as Midwestern. You know, I, I love square dancing as a kind of a free form, ecstatic thing that can serve everyone and belong to everyone yeah <laughs> that's and, a that's a know, great quote <laughs> but it's not ecstatic unless you play fast enough yeah <laughs> <laughs> in my experience yeah totally are you from the midwest yeah i'm from western illinois over toward the place where it hits iowa and missouri yeah, and you're in uh minneapolis now right yeah just the last six or eight months okay cool 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 so how did you well, actually, let's play another tune, but I want to ask you like how you got into playing this music specifically. But let's play another tune first. Let's sure thing. People, people are eager for uh, Salty River Reel.
dude. <laughs> oh man, good. it's good. It's a good one. Yeah, that's good. I really like Casey Jones' version of that in particular. A bunch of the Missouri. That's a that's a Missouri chestnut, I think. Okay. Yeah. Right on. A bunch of people play that, but Casey's version really stands out. Note separation. Um, note separation and tone are something I notice in a lot of Midwestern fiddlers since you mm. were asking. That kind of occurred to me. A lot of... So they're not slurring a bunch of their notes. They're like doing a different bow for each note. Um, yeah, there's, a, there's plenty of slurring, but um, uh, in general just a little bit more note separation a lot more tone emphasis on tone it seems yep. like in the mid midwest that seems something that i've noticed uh, i don't know an example's not coming to okay <laughs> it's fine how did you uh, get into playing fiddle did you like start with violin did you start I with, started with suzuki very good violin i i hated my piano lessons and i wanted to uh, Why start violin? Oh, you know, I just I was always improvising and always changing things, and that didn't that didn't work with my teacher when I was young, and uh-huh. so I made the deal that I could start violin, and if I got going with that, I could leave the piano, and so I got going with the Suzuki fiddle and or the Suzuki violin, and that was that was good, and then once I quit the piano lessons, I liked that too, once there was no mm. structure, yeah, and then I started. Um, there's a local couple who ran dances and they had their daughter um, playing for them and they I took a few lessons from her and she was mostly classical but also a good fiddler kind of a rare bird in that way um, and she taught me some tunes and they got me up playing for their dances when I was like 12 awesome and so I had the experience of being a dance fiddler way before I was like decent at all um, and they, they started using me to do whole dances when I was about 14. And so for the next 10 years on and off, I and eventually my brother and I would go and play dances for them. And so I was a dance fiddler from a pretty early time, even though I wasn't an amazing fiddler back then. It just gave me a reason to play. Yeah. Even though I wasn't like scintillatingly good and like yeah. really much of a performer. Maybe I'm still not much of a performer. Did they pay you? Um, yeah, yeah, I got paid a little bit. You That's know? awesome as a 14 year old. Like, oh, yeah, money and like the dancers appreciate it. You yeah. Know? So, so there was a lot of uh, context, you know. I yeah. Had, it, it was a reason to play. It made a sense. social role. Yeah, it was yeah. absolutely a role. It was service. I mean, like playing tunes for me is very much about service and trying to like render people a really nice time when they're dancing. Yeah. And getting the rhythm just right and, you know, getting the energy at a good level is, is, yeah, that's that's your that's your quest. It's like to like read the crowd and start the right tempo and maybe like push it up a little bit after a while and yeah. kind of push them into an ecstatic state that they wouldn't have just like started into. Yeah, you know, like it's like boiling a frog, <laughs> boil boil the the room of dancers. You know. Gotcha. Yeah, if you start like too fast right off the top, you might intimidate them or like. Right, they're gonna bail. They're gonna be like, no, this is this is ridiculous. Yeah. But you can get them into it. Yeah. <laughs> Boil that frog. That should be a call. <laughs> okay, we got to come up with the figure, the figure yeah. that goes with that. <laughs> no. Chet, we'll talk later. We have like a s- small studio audience right now. <laughs> um, so, you said you made a deal, to, I'm assuming with your parents, yeah. to like get out of piano lessons. They just wanted me to continue something. And so... Did they play music? 
Yeah, they were in choirs, and they played a lot of records around the house, and they had a cool record collection that went from, you know, maybe up to the 1950s or 60s. Not a ton of newer yeah. stuff, but lots of classical and Renaissance stuff. So I, I grew up listening to a lot of really old music and not a lot of 20th century stuff, mm. particularly. Yeah. But they, they're they not old-time musicians. Right. You know, but, um, but they instilled in you a, like, this is... A value and a thing that you need to do like you need to have some sort of musical discipline because it's yeah. like there wasn't a lot of pressure but it was just around me I was a good baby and so they could take me to choir concerts when I was two and stuff cool and so I got to check out a lot of performances and hear a lot of stuff from an early age and yeah but I didn't really connect with the old-time scene early on I didn't have that part of the context I just had the square dancing yeah and then I put the pieces together slowly I don't I don't think I even heard about clifftop until I was 18 or 19 mm. Um, that's how out of the loop I was. And then um, I went to Bethel. Charlie Walden started a camp in northeast Missouri back in the 70s or 80s. I don't remember the exact date. And it has brought a bunch of really great Midwestern fiddlers to teach there for 30-some years. And I, I went for the first time in 2003. And it wasn't far away, nor was it expensive, which again makes it kind of a rarity in fiddle camps um check it out bethel bethel youth fiddle camp um and uh i just got a lot of great exposure to a lot of different players um i could name a bunch of names i guess like dwight lamb vesta johnson john white john williams travis inman um there's so many others. Matt Wyatt and Justin Branham. Uh, Justin is flourishing down in Nashville now, and Matt Wyatt mm. has a great fiddle shop in Kansas City. But when they were both younger than I am now, I saw them at Bethel, and that was amazing. Um, and then I connected a lot to the fiddlers who'd been at Bethel but had passed away before I, I got there. So the whole crop of Cyril Stinnett, Lyman Enloe, Pete McMahon, Taylor McBain, Cleo Persinger, uh, Bob Walters, you know, like, and some of those guys passed away in the 90s and some of them in the, in the 60s, but there was a whole generation that I connected to through the cassettes that the Missouri Old Time Fiddlers Association put out. I got the whole set at the Wyatt Pro awesome. Shop and I ran through them and I just kind of gave them away at Clifftop this year because now it's all on the, the Missouri Fiddling Band Camp and so I, yeah. can, I can refer to it all there. Yeah. Um, so I, I ceremonially gave away most of my Midwestern cassettes. Yeah, was that yeah. hard? <laughs> um, it was totally impulsive, and I don't regret it at all. Okay, cool. <laughs> I really hope people get into these tunes, because they're really cool, and it hasn't been mined quite as deeply as some other parts of the old-time repertoire. Yeah, right on. Although the Milner Coken Collection does a pretty cool job of bringing some Midwestern stuff in, so mm. that's probably raised the profile a little bit. Thanks, Walt. Thanks, Claire. Yeah. <laughs> Again. Uh, what do we uh, oh we're gonna do um, Pride of America oh yeah Uh, so this is like our one non-Missouri tune yeah I I hope I'm remembering this right I think this was collected in Illinois by Gary Harrison this is on the New Mules album Gary Harrison was a a multi-talented Illinois musician and scholar archivist of old-timey tunes and other stuff and he had a, a band that won the Cliff Top Trad Contest in 2008 called The New Mules, and they have an album. And that's most of my exposure to him. Most people probably know him from tunes like Red Prairie Dawn. Dull or Chisel. Dull Chisel. Boys or and Buzzards are flying. Hey Mao, you know, 
around Barn. Yeah, there's there's tons of great ones that are out in the ether now from him, but uh, this is just one he collected. He found a lot of cool ones. Yeah, right on. Yeah, I want to learn more about him because I mostly I think about him as the this sort of like f- festival tune source. Like he's like all the like party tunes that I play like at festivals like like uh, so many of them are written by him but then i've been starting to get into these other tunes that he wrote that like people don't play and then also yeah just talking to chirps yesterday you know talk he's like saying like yeah he actually collected a lot and he's this huge source so there's a lot that i don't know about him i'm excited to like dig into that a little bit yeah, it's great that people have picked up his originals, but he did a lot of scholarship. And yeah. a lot of that is collected in a book called Dear Old Illinois, Yeah, um, which I believe is available again. Um, great. Yeah, it's a really, um, it's a biblical tome of, of Illinois and, and Midwestern stuff. And uh, so there's a lot of good new stuff in there. Right on. Yeah, I wonder where you can find that. Uh, Pickaway Press is the name of there, if you Google it. Yeah, great. it's called Dear Old Illinois. Let me get into a modal real quick and then we'll play that Pride of America. Yeah. Needed some convincing. Uh, shout out to Dan McDonald for uh, teaching me this tune, Pride of America, and for also hiring me to come play at the Midwest Sing and Stomp. Uh, everyone, come next year. Huge party. It was awesome. Some of the mo- one of the most eclectic festivals I've ever been to. There was a uh, acapella shanty singing and um, there was uh, Georgian choral music and uh, Serbian um, folk violin stuff and don't forget uh, the Morris dancers I didn't catch the Morris dancers I get yeah that was the that was the one thing about the festival that was hard it was just that there was too many awesome things going on at the same time and I had to make some really tough decisions like yeah. I missed Herp's workshop because I was watching uh, uh, what were those um, Har- Harochicanos is that the name of the band I didn't see them but yeah Harochicanos what were they doing uh, Mexican stuff or okay yeah, yeah. Harochicanos is the name of them yeah yeah uh, yeah anyway thanks Dan uh, you may know Dan is um, Spitzer Space Telescope Spitzer Space Telescope so check him out uh, we're in his uh, apartment next to his bed right now so <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Pride of America.
that's such a cool tune. That tune's got swagger. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's not. It doesn't even have to be very crooked. It's just. Yeah. 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 It. Uh, it makes more sense listening to it than <laughs> trying to learn it. <laughs> yeah. It took a while to work out the phrasing. Yeah, it makes it makes total sense once you once you get it in there. Yeah. Uh, cool. That's when it takes a few times around to kind of let your consciousness expand into. Or like after. I feel like the part of me that plays fiddle is totally different than the part of me that was like having this conversation. Uh-huh. So like I have to like let the non let let the verbal part of my brain like yeah. settle out for a couple times before I can even directly engage with the sound making process. Yeah. You know, like you start getting into like a, a like a feedback or like a monitoring loop with like your tone and like mm-hmm. start directly affecting like the tone you're making, yeah. you know, and it just can take a second to get in to that. Yeah. Speaking, engaging your vocal brain through the tone production. Yes. That's what it is. Pride of America. Do you know what that, what's up with that team nope. title? I did. I don't, I don't look too hard at, yeah. I don't know. One of my favorite tunes right now is Stonewall Jackson off of Henry Barnes' album. Uh-huh. I'm going to need to come up with a different name for that one. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, especially in the current climate. Yeah, yeah. Well, Pride yeah. of America, like, uh, you know, it's not... Um, that's the question right now. <laughs> yeah. What, what I, that, that, that's more a more convincing argument than <laughs> anything I've heard recently. <laughs> this tune. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe fiddle tunes and square dancing kind of folk culture can have a part in in binding us back together again yeah you know like if taken a if we're you know separated by by mass media and not having connection you know like a a potluck in a, a neighborhood barn dance or a square dance in the street is a pretty good way to build connection that anybody can get into yeah when I was here seven or eight years ago, I was living with Evan Collins, and we would have dances out in the alley under the red line, um, and get families from the neighborhood to come in and dance just as they were getting off the train. And yeah. sometimes the only kid in the family who could translate the calls was three, but they'd get the whole rest of the family going. And yeah, my my now wife Chanel was doing a lot of calling over the train. Yeah, she's got pipes. Awesome. So. Uh, but bring it, just bring it to the people, and it can just be something that anyone can learn and bring people together and have like a community experience and yeah. like a, a positive like experience with your body, just like getting and moving and like. Uh, and it's like when you when you dance with people, you have to touch them. Yeah, you have to touch so many people. Platonic touch, and I feel like you know we're we're dying from lack of touch because we've like. I don't know, eroticized all touch or something like that, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, bringing back, like, respectful touch, like, yeah. like platonic touch and, like, community, just feeling like, yeah, you're a bunch of bodies and that can be really nice. Yeah. Like, I think that does something for us on a primal level that yeah. that we sometimes miss. Yeah, I kind of avoided it for a while, like, at festivals because it was, like, you know... I feel very comfortable playing banjo, uh, but it 
I'm not like a very experienced dancer. Um, I didn't grow up going to square dances or things like that. And I think also there is like an element of like what you're saying, like um, not being as, uh, not necessarily as eloquent as this because I'm in the middle of my process about it, but like, yeah, not being as comfortable with platonic touch and like the idea of being like touched by so many people like in <laughs> within like one evening, you know, or even one dance is just like a little. Sure, I think it took it me definitely. It can be a little hyper stimulating. Yeah, especially like our current culture of masculinity is super anti-touch, and I think yeah. that if you're touch starved for a long time, it can kind of be really overstimulating and like bring yeah. up a lot. But yeah. then, like, by doing it more, I think that you can, like, maybe acclimate and start to, like, build a healthy, like, a healthy sense of dynamics when it comes to touch. Yeah. And not, like, like enjoy it and, like, be embodied and be bodies with people, but also, like, not make too much of it. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> there's, like, there's definitely a balance there. And I think it's, it's, it's really therapeutic for a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, even, like... Uh, to whatever extent like there's like I'm sure there's healthy maybe non-platonic or ambiguously like on the edge of platonic like touch in dances too because it is like sure I don't don't like I don't like the idea that it's like must be platonic yeah yeah. any means I, I I love it when it's like like quite charged you know that's wonderful but like then also just having like respect and boundaries and yeah and that you know that's a that's a complex thing, but you should start practicing that early and do it all your life. And like yeah. square dancing is a great, a great like sandbox in which to like learn yes. to like talk to people, ask them to dance. Like I don't know, learning to move. If you can learn to move with someone else, like, yeah, that's gonna help you in other ways in your life. Probably you know? totally. Yeah, it's like uh, that. The safety of one, you're in a huge crowd of people you know like that are there to like have fun but are like everyone's looking at everyone like that and also like the structure of like the form and like the tradition like i think make it a really safe place to do that and to like yeah kind of like confront yourself like and me as a like person starved of like platonic touch and uh maybe other kinds of touch as well like like going into that and then like yeah, being sort of overstimulated, but also feeling like this is like a safe place sure. to do that. And I appreciate the contra scene because I think that they make a lot of strides to make it a consciously safe and accepting yeah. space. And old time is a lot, or like I, you know, like uh, square dancing and and within the old time scene is maybe a little more understated. Right. But like contra can also be can also be fussy like I feel like people are really sometimes into getting it right and that can sure to someone who's coming into it for the first time to have someone jump down your throat when you don't get the move right right is super discouraging and so keeping that that acceptance and encouragement um, has been really important to me and that's I guess why I lean square right you know is because it can be more improvisatory the calling can be improvisatory colors can trade off you can play crooked tunes you can change tunes yeah um, it just, you know, when you're not trying to line stuff up, 
um, it's easier. You're only going to throw off eight people and not a line of 50. If you want to think about it that way, <laughs> yeah, when you point. have a sense of yourself as this huge, intricate pattern, part of this huge pattern, it yeah. can be a lot of pressure. Yeah. And so some people might see like, oh, eight people is more, but I, I think it might be less because there's like this whole right. progression. And if you want to, it's like being part of a clock or something. Yeah. And if you're, if you, I mean, some people are into it and it's amazing, but in terms of making people feel like at home and like, like not worried about it and just getting them into it. Yeah, I kind of love square dancing for that because you can also just teach figures individually instead of teaching whole dances. Yeah, you just build that knowledge base from nothing and get people to just do the figures, and then you're not worried about hitting this larger pattern. You can right. just focus on the moment. Yeah, I, this year at Clifftop was like the first time that I was in a dance that was like really. Um, we were doing some sort of improvised like dancing like on the street Um, and it was the first time I was in dances where they weren't being taught and I was just like having they were just calling stuff that I wasn't ready for and then just doing my best to follow and it was super fun I think that's the future yeah I mean I think maybe it's also the past yeah Yeah, I, man, I, you, you got a lot of good quotes in this episode. I hope, I hope <laughs> it's a great one. I hope we go in that direction. I love the the loose improvisatory nature of it, and that's what I love about Clifftop is people are so encouraging, and they encourage you to do stuff to get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, and they're so you know, if you can be the most amazing instrumentalist, and they're like, get on the dancing board, you know, like yeah, yeah, just get out of your comfort zone, and totally. we support you and like have fun, and I love that everybody's always working on new instruments and just kind of dabbling with different aspects of the tradition and there's just this skill sharing and encouragement and that added the uh, atmosphere of that everywhere yeah because yeah it's no fun if everybody just stays within their their like comfort zone or zone of expertise you yes know? and like that's and I think I admired people when I was younger that I saw that were able to like put themselves out there more and that's a that's a hard thing to learn, but like, you know, if I feel like I'm getting anything from getting older, maybe it's not that I'm like getting wiser and more set, but just like getting more comfortable putting myself out there. Yeah, totally. Uh-huh. And dealing with the consequences. Sure. <laughs> Still want to work on the John Hartford shuffle while I play fiddle or guitar or something. Oh, yeah. Maybe next year. <laughs> um... I saw in some of your videos online that you uh, you do the John Hartford um, vocal potatoes like thing that he does. Oh yeah, that <laughs> little tick. It's um, it's really handy when you when you have something. You know what I think it is is partly that's a way to keep myself in that musical brain while actually saying something verbal. Yeah. Because like I've just been playing the tune to work it up before I start the video or something. Yeah. But if I launch into some old monologue, um, that's gonna knock me out of my like musical mode for a minute so I think to some extent I realized that maybe that's kind of practical uh-huh. although I'm sure he's also doing it for humor but yeah it's, yeah, it's super just funny. a great take my wife and I sing a lot of songs to each other so yeah. there's a lot of like nonsense improv in my life for, for those of you like are unfamiliar like in uh, John Hartford's like fiddle tunes record he he does a sort of rhythmic um, like little monologue on the on the tone. Can you give us an example? I don't know if you well, have any off the top of your head. This next one we're gonna do is probably gonna be coming up the pike from Art Galbraith, but I suspect I got it from Jim Lansford of Galena, Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> I 
or sometimes he does stuff where he'll do something like this and then he'll do the five forward for a while and hang on as long as he said everything he wants to say and then resolve it after a while back to here duh. you know um, yeah <laughs> yeah he does that a little bit on heading down into the mystery below I love I his think. intro to Maysville. it's like one of the oh yeah ones. <laughs> go, go to Maysville and and sell your tobacco and then you get drunk and come back all slow. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be the slow one, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of C tunes, let me get into C real quick. We'll play these two. You know, he does a bunch of that on um, uh, Hamilton Ironworks, his third, third and final uh, tunes CD. He does a bunch of that talk singing about different folks and reminiscing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I've barely like I'm just on the tip of the iceberg of John Hartford. I haven't really got into him. Like I've listened to that. What's the one like? songwriting album that everyone listens to like uh steam powered area playing that one yeah yeah listen to that one and then the the fiddle tunes one with uh Maysville in it yeah yeah it makes you feel a lot of complicated things like <laughs> when i listen to it sometimes i'm like oh this is totally awesome and then sometimes i'm like this is really cheesy and weird i don't know how i feel about it and but <laughs> yeah you have to kind of build up your immunity or there's a lot of different <laughs> sides to him yeah it's hard to talk about him because there's just so many different things that he did yeah and yeah, I mean, there's something for everyone, but you might not necessarily like everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll talk. The, 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 the <laughs> 70s stuff is amazing. Mark Twang and uh, Morning Bugle and Heading Down to the Mystery Below and Nobody Knows What You Do. Pretty essential. Yeah. Well, this is coming up the pike from Art Galbraith. <laughs> I actually got from this Jim and Kim Lansford album. Um, they were a great duo from the Ozarks. Um, Jim passed away in 2012, but they've got a number of great albums. There's at least one that's available on digital platforms. But uh, yeah, this is from Art Galbraith, who's a Missouri fiddler.
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's a cool tune. Uh, I love that that little tag. Yeah, it's <laughs> that makes it's, it. It's tasty. Yeah, I need to dig more into Art Galbraith. Yeah. Uh, the one tune that I've heard of is is the Flowers of Edinburgh, and the guitarist that he's playing with, he's playing all sorts of wacky chords. Uh, does he always play with that one guitarist? Like, um, you, do know, you know, I got I got it from the Jim and Kim Lansford record. Okay. So I don't know, I don't know too much about Art Galbraith, but I like hyperactive guitar I love the kind of stuff that like Clark Kestinger plays with mm. you know um, or when I was at Bethel I heard um, well Kenny Appleby is the the regular guitarist out there his opinion kind of goes in terms of what's uh, in the tradition but yeah uh, Bob Bovey who's actually up from Lanesboro Minnesota uh, he was down there with his uh, playing partner Gail Heil and I remember him hearing him doing some long ornate bass lines because he's a cowboy country western uh-huh. singer as well and so he's he's got that and I always remember thinking that was really cool yeah whoever was playing with Art um, in in the Flowers of Edinburgh recording which I think is on Slippery Hill um, or on the Milliner Coping Collection I think um, plays like so it's in G and they play like A minors and at one point they play a B minor Whoa. Which I've never heard in an all-time recording before. Well, you know, I it's think really cool. <laughs> it's really pretty. Old old-time ends up moving a little bit toward dogma sometimes. Yep. You know, um, and I don't know what dogmas are worth challenging. Probably some got there for a reason, but yeah, um, I like interesting accompaniment. I love playing guitar and piano. I mean, I wish piano or keyboard were a bigger part of old time these yeah, days. Yeah, me too. There's no reason why not, you know? I think old time is in how you play and not yeah. so much the instrument, I guess. It's a little more, like, practical, I guess. Yeah, I mean, my brother and I did piano and violin for many years as a duo, and it's really versatile, and you can switch keys and yeah. do sets, and it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a loud and reliable instrument that can do punchy rhythm and complex harmony yeah what's not to like yeah Yeah, I really um, I only get to do it when I host jams at my house so I don't really have a chance to like get really good at it (laughs) but it's always really fun when I do it and it's sort of like a like a weird power trip too because you're like the loudest person like you have the most like sort of dynamic control of you know (laughs) yeah you do you're really kind of driving and it's exhilarating and fun Actually, Kim Lansford plays some really great piano on their albums, and that's one of my main influences, mm. along with Mary Kay Brass, who's a, a New England um, music teacher. She does all kinds of other choir and accordion stuff, not related to her fiddling, but she's got an album on Spotify of just absolutely superb. It's halfway between old-time bass line stuff and, like, Irish Celtic vamping. Mm. It's like the perfect balance yeah so that's kind of the that's the gold standard for me in a lot of ways well we just have one tune left is there anything you want to like uh, promote or well I've got an album with my wife on Bandcamp great fiddlerjones.bandcamp.com great um, I've got a bunch of tunes on SoundCloud which is soundcloud.com slash John Daniel Lane I've got a, a YouTube user which is Two Lane Road um. Yeah, that's the start. Great. Um, are you like available to hire for 
I stuff. suppose I am. Yeah. yeah, I don't love flying, but I'll drive across most of the country for the the right thing. Great, great. Yeah, I'd love to play around with people. Uh, John Lane, thanks so much for being on Get Up in the Cool. What are, what's going to be our last tune? Well, let's do the Iberia Breakdown. This is from a black Missouri fiddler named Bill Driver, who might be my favorite fiddler. I might go there. Um, he's definitely one of the coolest fiddlers to come out of the Missouri tradition. Um, he's got this style that's pretty driving, and he seems like he wrote a lot of his own tunes and probably just improvised the heck out of them. Yeah. You know, um, but this is one that is pretty well known, relatively speaking, in the Missouri tradition called Iberia Breakdown, because he was from Iberia, Missouri, and had a kind of a happy life there. So maybe this is like his kind of his jam. Cool.
if you want to hear more of John's music, check out his album with his wife Chanel at fiddlerjones.bandcamp.com. I'll include a link to that, as well as links to his SoundCloud and YouTube channels in this episode's description and its accompanying Facebook post. If you want to support Get Up in the Cool and get access to exclusive bonus content, go to CameronDewitt.com and click on the button that says Patreon. There you'll find the levels at which you can support the show and the rewards, like on-air shoutouts, MP3 downloads, weekly bonus tracks, and monthly online banjo workshops. This week's bonus track is uh, John and I playing Johnny Don't Come Home Drunk. It's awesome. I really want you to hear it. Uh, speaking of on-air shoutouts, I really want to give a huge thank you to my new Patreon supporters, Andrew Kozuk. Koziol, I hope is how it's pronounced, and Rico Dovi. Uh, some really exotic names for me uh, lately on the Patreon, which is great. I just hope I'm not butchering any of them. Uh, I really appreciate it. I'm recording this outro pretty late at night, right before I release this episode. And if I didn't have support from folks like you, I guarantee you, I would postpone it. I'm very tired. <laughs> uh, but now I have 49 people who like this show enough to give me money for it. I don't want to let you guys down. So if anyone wants to help me break 50, just go to CameronDeWitt.com and click the Patreon button or follow the link in this episode's description on your device or on the Facebook post. Next month is October, which means it's almost Get Up in the Cool month, which means I'm going to release some of my favorite interviews that I recorded this year, starting with Chirp Smith next week. But in return for this wonderful month of all-time programming, I need y'all to get ready to share and tweet and banjo hangout and fiddle hangout and word of mouth the hell out of the next four episodes. I promise it'll be worth it. And finally, sometime in the coming month, I'm going to release my new podcast. I'm excited and a little nervous to share it with you. It's a really different show. It's mostly talking and there's no old time music in it. But on the off chance that any of you listen to Get Up the Cool for the parts where I speak, uh, you might like it. I don't know. I'm anxious to find out. More on that soon. For now, thanks for listening, friends. Come back same time next week to get up in the cool. <laughs> <laughs>